Hey Alexa, does God still heal? Hmm, I don't know that one. I can't do explanations yet. Well, it's good to see all of you tonight and those that are watching online. Uh, so glad that you're able uh, to be here again as as Morgan was saying, it's just so good to see faces, uh, especially right now when it's difficult sometimes to get out, people unsure about really what's going on, and you know none of us want to get sick. So it's good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, I hope that you enjoy having everything back in person, even though we're spread out with the worship and the messages and small groups. So uh, tonight we are going to be continuing our series that we started last week called unanswered, where the whole point of this series is for us to talk about the questions that many people have when it comes to faith, when it has to God, and to talk about these difficult, real questions and provide biblical, true answers to them. And so last week we started out this series by asking the question about how is God good when we look at the world and there's so much bad happening in it? And we talked about how despite bad things happening in the world, that doesn't disprove the goodness of God. And how God gives us this sense of right and this sense of wrong. And it doesn't matter what background you come from, what you believe, God has given us all a moral law that says certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Tonight we are going to discuss, in my opinion, one of the most difficult questions that people have when it comes to faith and when it comes to God. You know, growing up, I can remember, uh, I was a a very mischievous kid. I I was always up to no good. I was always getting into trouble. And and I can remember on many occasions uh, getting spanked, right? Or mom would say, when your father gets home, you're going to get it. Uh, and, and I can remember certain times when, when my dad would, would spank me and give me this punishment. A lot of times he'd say, you know, it hurts me more than it hurts you. And maybe your parents have said this similar phrase to you, that it hurts me more to punish you than it actually hurts you to be punished. And, and he would say that uh, he was disciplining me because he loved me. But as a kid... This made zero sense to me because I was the one leaving the room with red belt marks across my butt. Sometimes it was the wooden spoon, so I had a perfect outline of a spoon on my behind. And so as as a kid who just experienced pain, how could it hurt someone else more? And so I think when we look at this, this is a question that a lot of Christians, a lot of non-believers too, have when it comes to God. And it centers around, how could a loving God send people to hell? How could a loving God send people to hell? And so tonight, we're going to unpack this very deep, this very heavy topic, this heavy question of how can God be loving and send people to hell? And as we unpack this question, there's really three main things that I want you uh, and I want us to talk about. Three main questions. And they're going to be on the screen. All of these points are going to be on the screen so that you can take notes. All the scriptures will be on the screen for you to read. Uh, So let's look at the, the questions. The first one is, what is hell? 
We're going to talk about what is hell. The second thing we're going to talk about is who is and who will be in hell. And the third thing we're going to talk about is how does hell actually show us the love of God? You know, many people would argue that hell shows that God isn't loving. But tonight, I, I'm going to suggest to you that the existence of hell and that through hell we can actually see the very love and nature of God. As we start out tonight, I want us to open our Bibles. If you have a phone, flip over to the phone app, the Bible app, not the phone app. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, starting out in chapter 16. It's going to be on the screen for you as well. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. This is a, a parable that Jesus was teaching about the rich man and Lazarus. So here's what Jesus says. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will re repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So here we see Jesus teaching really about heaven and hell. And we see two really main figures. We have Lazarus and we have the rich man. And while on earth, Lazarus was the poorest of poor where he's sitting outside the rich man's home with sores on his, his body. And some translations say that his best friends were the dogs that came and licked him. Had no food, covered in sores. And on the other hand, we have the rich man who, while on earth, had everything that he wanted. But after they pass away, it's almost like the, not actually, it is like the, the script is flipped on them. And here Lazarus is sitting with Abraham in heaven with all that he could ever want. And here's the rich man 
It says in the place of the dead, in hell, wishing that the tip of his tongue could just be cooled. And so we're given two very different situations here. And as we read this, I I think it's appropriate for us to talk about the question, what is hell? What is hell? I think if we're going to talk about hell, it it is right for us to have a, a solid understanding of what exactly is it. And simply put, hell is a place that is absent of all things good. Hell is a place that is absent from all things good. Or we could say it is separation from God. When we read the, this chapter in Luke, this set of verses, it says that there is a chasm between heaven and hell that you cannot go from one to the other. That you are physically separated from God. Abraham tells the rich man, even if we wanted to, even if, even if we wanted to, we couldn't. Because you are physically separated from the presence of God. The next scripture I want, I want you to look at is in the book of 2 Thessalonians in the New Testament. Chapter 1, 7 through 9. Just listen to this. It says, God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted. And also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey God and obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Now, I think a lot of times we have a misconception when it comes to what our idea of hell or eternity in hell is. And I know from, for myself, really until I, I began even preparing for this message, understanding that, you know, we, we grow up with this mindset and this idea that hell is just a place of torture, right? We, we, that you're going to go there and, and it's just a life, an eternal life filled of just torture. And I'm going to argue maybe it's not torture, Because when we look at the Gospel of Luke here in chapter 16, it actually says that it's torment, not torture. And I think there's a difference. If we look at the difference between torment and torture, it's this. Torment is internal. Torture is external. I think for a lot of us, maybe torment is worse. You know, torment comes in the form of anxiety. Torment comes in the form of depression. Torment comes in the form of loneliness, of guilt, of fear. You know, when you're constantly living out of fear or or you're afraid of things happening, when you have this anxiety, it's crippling. You know, if you've ever experienced that level of anxiety where you can't even get out of bed, where you're just afraid and you don't know what you're afraid of, you're just afraid, you're just anxious, and you don't know how to make it stop. That's what hell is. Hell is a place of torment. And, you know, hell throughout the the scriptures is described in very graphic ways, in different ways, as a place of torment, but also a place where there's gnashing of teeth. It is described as a fiery place. Luke says that he was being consumed, the rich man was being consumed by the fire. And I think a lot of times fire is used because fire is destructive. It destroys and so hell destroys. 
it destroys peace. It, it destroys comfort. It consumes you. The anxiety, the loneliness, the separation, it just consumes every ounce of your life. It's also regarded as a place of darkness. And I think that is because Jesus is light. And so hell is the absence of God. It's pure separation from God. And so it's spiritually a dark place. You know, a lot of times people will make the case of uh, hell not being real because it's described as a fiery place, but it's also described as dark. How could you have both? It's because it's metaphorical. It's talking about what it does to us. It talks about what it's doing to our soul on the inside. Another way to think about hell is hell displays the justice of God. And I think this is where we begin to get hung up as Christians, as people. I think non-believers, this is a spot, the justice of God is a spot that we really get hung up on. Because we love to think about the love and forgiveness of God. We love to think about that. And, and while God is certainly loving and while God is certainly forgiving, we don't like to hear that he is also on the same hand just. While God is loving and forgiving, he is also just. He's fair. You know, you want to know that God is forgiving and you want God to be forgiving when, and not just when we talk about how a good person who could live their whole life being good, doing what we, from a worldly standpoint, say is good, could live his whole life that way and not have a relationship with God. You want God to be forgiving and not just. When we talk about how that person, despite what he's done, is going to go to hell. We want to disregard the justice of God. We don't want God to be just. We want him to be forgiving. We want God uh, to be loving. We want to focus on the love of God and, and ignore that he's just. When it comes to talking uh, about our sin and the sin of those around us, because when the people around us and we ourselves are sinning, it's convenient for us to talk about the love of God and disregard his justice. Because when his justice isn't in the picture, we're allowed to live the way we want. We use that as an excuse of, oh, I can do this because God loves me. That's true. God does love you. But he's also just. He's also fair. But you know, I don't think that you just want God to be loving and forgiving. Because I do think you want God to be just. I think I want God to be just. Because when it comes to talking about how God is willing to forgive all people, no matter how grievous, how awful their injustices are that they've, that they've done in their life. No matter how unjust a person may be, we want God to be just when we talk about how God will forgive that person. All of a sudden, the, the, the script is flipped, and we don't want God to be forgiving. We want his justice. And so we want it when it's convenient for us. God is loving. God is forgiving. God is just. But a lot of times, I think we struggle with this because we want it to be centered around our convenience. And the truth is, is just simply that God is forgiving, God is loving, but he is also just. And he has told us that the sins of all people, the injustices, the actions of all people, will either be paid through the cross or through hell. 
the actions of all people will either be paid through the cross or in hell. So hell simply is a place that is absent of God, absent of goodness. You know, a lot of times you you hear people say, oh, I'd rather just go to hell and kick it back with my buddies and not have any regard for serving God. You know, I can just do whatever I want. No, that's wrong. That's a complete misunderstanding. Because those things, hanging out with your friends would be good. And hell is the absence of goodness. The second question I want us to unpack is this. Who is and who will be in hell? And the simple answer to this is hell is filled with people who refuse to worship God. Hell is filled with people who refuse to worship God. I want us to look here at uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1, 21 through 24. Here's what it says. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired to do. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples and and taught us how to pray, the words, thy will be done, were included. And I think those words, thy will be done, are very significant words to us. And I think the words, thy will be done, have eternal consequences. Those simple words have eternal consequences. And here's why. It's based on who is saying them. It's all centered around who is saying the words, thy will be done. Is it you or is it God? If you, if you are saying to God, thy will be done, that means you are submitting to the will and the plan of God. You are submitting to a relationship with God where God is in control. And you'll be in heaven. I'm confident of that. But if God is saying those words to us, we're in a whole lot of trouble. Because as we look at Romans 1, that is exactly what God is saying to those people. Fine, you want to do things your way, thy will be done. Thy will be done. It says that he handed them over to their desires. He stopped pushing them. He just said, fine, your will be done. You don't want my will? Fine, your will be done. But the consequences of your will are going to come. If God is saying those words to us, he is handing us over to our desires. But as we read in Romans 1, not only did he hand them over to those desires, because he handed them over to their desires, he also handed them over to the consequences, the torment that came along with their desires, with their plan, because their plan wasn't perfect. If you want your plan, you have to be willing to accept the consequences, the torment that goes along with that. But God says, look, I want you to have my will. 
If you'll let me have my will in your life, you will receive goodness. You will receive peace and comfort. You know, they wanted their own freedom. For some reason, to a lot of people, being in a relationship with God is seen as restrictive, as restricting. It's not a free relationship. And a lot of times that's because we all of a sudden see conflict between what we want to do and what God says we should be doing. And it challenges us. They wanted their will versus God's will. Now, as I was reading for uh, this lesson, uh, one commentator, one person said that this idea is, uh, a good way to explain it is, it's almost like that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. Meaning, they could unlock them, but they don't want to. Because they want their freedom. If you are in hell, you refuse to worship God, and that's what heaven is all about. Heaven is all about worshiping and serving God. And so for, for the people in hell, it's like they've locked themselves in there and they don't want out because they want their freedom. Their freedom to them despite the torment, despite the consequences and, and the, the shame and the guilt and anxiety that they're feeling in hell, their freedom is worth more to them. Look at the rich man. Look at the rich man. When he's talking with Abraham, what's he saying? He's not saying, let me out. He says he's experiencing torment. He's not saying, let me out. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's not saying he'll do better or, or he'll change. No, he, he's still selfish. He's asking uh, yet again for the poor man to come and serve him. He's asking for the poor man just to come relieve some uh, of the anguish that he's in, just temporarily. And then he'll just go back to doing his thing. He was so consumed by his will, his desires, what he wanted to do, that he wanted to stay there. He didn't want out. If he wanted out, he'd have been saying, Abraham, let me out of this place. It would have been a, a completely different dialogue, a completely different story. When we, when we look at this question of who is in hell, there's, a, there's another question that I think comes off of this, and, and we briefly started to talk about it in the first point, and, and that is, who is in hell, and do good people go to hell, or are good people in hell? And, and to answer this question, I want us to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 18. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus says, only God, only God is truly good. Only God is truly good. So to answer simply the question of, are there good people in hell? Do good people go to hell? No, they don't. Because we are not good. To say that someone is good is wrong. You know, our judgment of goodness and whether someone is good or not is solely based on what we see in the world. Our perception of goodness changes every day. What is good one day may not be good the next day. But God has said, Jesus has said that God is the only one 
who is good. Jesus is the only good person who has ever walked this earth. And we talked about that last week. Sure, do, do people who do, from our standpoint, good things, do they go to hell? Sure, they do. But Scripture makes it very clear, and, and one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, I know probably all of you have heard this verse, John 3.16. And it says very clearly how you receive eternal life. It says, those who believe receive eternal life, not those who behave. Those who believe, not those who behave. I want to ask you a question. You probably don't know the answer to this. Do you know what the name Lazarus means? The poor man in in Luke, his name was Lazarus, which means the one God helps. Lazarus means the one God helps. And see, I think when Jesus is teaching, he doesn't ignore the small details. He has the big concepts in his story, but he, he tells a story with such fine detail. He doesn't miss a detail. Because here Jesus is saying, you don't get to heaven unless you have my help. You don't get to heaven based on what you do. You get to heaven based on what I have done for you. And Jesus' words, just to be clear, are that nobody comes through the Father except through me. Jesus said, you want to come to the Father, you want to get to heaven, you have to come through me. Not through yourself, but through me. And so you do not get to heaven without God. But so often we want to put the emphasis on ourselves and not on God. We're prideful and we think that what we've done is good enough to get us there. But that completely goes against what Jesus says and that he is the way. He is the truth and he is the source of life. I think a good example of this is if if someone came up to you and was like, hey, I'm going to date you. I love you. We're going to date. You know, if someone came up to, uh, let's see, who's someone good to pick on? Someone came up to Lily and said, Lily, we're going to date. I like you a lot. We're going to date and we're going to get married. What if you thought, uh, I don't know, his name's Joe. Let's say Joe comes up to you and says this, and Joe, like, you're not into Joe. You're going to say, mm, I don't know about that. And after a couple weeks, Joe gets a little tired of saying, Lily, we're going to date. Let's date. And you, he's getting tired of you saying no. And he says, Lily, I'm going to force you to date me. Yeah, her reaction's like, mm, I don't know about that. Why? Because you can't be forced into a relationship. That's not how relationships work. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. God will not force you into a relationship. And if that person really did love you, that person trying to force you into a relationship really did love you, eventually they would get to the point where they say, I love you, but I'm not going to force you. I'll give you the space that you want. You want space? That's fine. Have your space. I know that I love you, but if space is what you want, if you don't want to be in a relationship, that's your decision. That's up to you. And that is how God is with us. He loves us and he pursues us, but eventually 
through rejection of God, God says, fine, I love you and I want to be in a relationship with you, but I'm not gonna force you. So if space is what you want, if living your life the way you want is what you want, fine, do it. I love you, but I'm not going to force you. Now, rejecting God doesn't always look like someone saying, God, I reject you. Really, I think the the most common way that people reject God is saying that I deserve to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Rejecting God is saying that when we say that people deserve to go to heaven because they're good, we reject God. And we may not be meaning to reject God, but we are rejecting the entire gospel. When we believe that people can go to heaven because they're good and can go to heaven without a relationship with God, you've completely rejected the entire gospel. Completely rejected God. Because what you're saying in that, whether you realize it or not, is you're saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross doesn't matter. Because if you were good enough, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for you. Jesus didn't need to die on the cross for someone who is good and someone who can get to heaven because they're good. Jesus died on the cross because we're not good. We're not good enough and we need Jesus. And so when we start saying that people can go to heaven just because they're a good person, we completely undercut everything that Jesus did on the cross, which is the gospel. That is the entire gospel. The gospel does not focus on what we do. The gospel does not focus on how good we are. The gospel solely focuses on the redemptive work and the freeing freeing work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are not good enough without him. And so those who will be in hell are those who reject God, those who refuse to worship God. And do good people go to hell? No, they don't. Because no one is truly good. Nobody is truly good. And we reject God when we think that people can go to heaven based on what they've done. The third question, the final question I want us to unpack tonight is that of this. It's how does hell show us the love of God? How does hell show us the love of God? And and to many people, this question seems completely contradictory. Like, the idea of hell and love do not seem to mix well. And so, me standing here saying that I can prove to you the love of God because of the existence of hell probably seems crazy. But it's not, and here's why. When we look at what Jesus did, when we look at what Jesus did on the cross, we see the length that God was willing to go to for you and I not to go to hell. John 3, 16, I'm going to point you right back to that verse. So that none would perish but have everlasting life. The whole reason that Jesus came and died on the cross, that God sent his son to earth, was so that you didn't have to go to hell. And so the very existence of hell, we can see the, because it exists, we can see the length that God went to to keep us away from there. Jesus died so we don't have to go to hell. I want to ask you a a question. How is the value of something determined? 
How do you how do you determine the value of something? Any any ideas? Huh? Okay, how many people want it? Huh? You compare it to other things? That's fine. We could compare it to other things, or a lot of people could want it, but that doesn't mean a lot of people are going to buy it. What if I took these AirPods, right? A nice pair of AirPods, not the Pros, just normal AirPods with the, the wireless charging case. Any idea how much these cost? I'm sure a lot of you do, because most of you, if I had to guess, have a pair of these. The value of something is determined based on what people are willing to pay for it. It's simple. The value of something is based on what people are willing to pay for it. These AirPods are worth $200. Why are they worth $200? Because you're willing to pay $200 for them. I'm willing to pay $200 for a pair of AirPods. Crazy to pay $200 for a pair of headphones but we're willing to pay it. So Apple sets the value of these AirPods at $200. You know what would happen if people decided, mm, not going to spend $200 for a pair of AirPods, what are they going to do? They're going to lower the price. Because now people aren't willing to pay that. So we need to lower the value down to what someone is willing to pay. I'll ask you another question. What is your value? Based on that, what is your value? I'm going to argue that you have pretty significant value because Jesus was willing to pay his life for you. Something I don't think you can put a price tag on. I don't think you can put a price tag on any human life. Not to mention the life of the Son of God. And so you have such value that Jesus was willing to die for you but even maybe more significant than that, that God was willing to send his son solely for the purpose of, you, uh, of him dying for your sins. You are so valuable that Jesus paid his life for you. Why? So that you don't have to go to hell. So that there's a way for you to escape hell. So that there's a way for you to go to heaven instead of hell. And so the existence of hell, to me... It's very clear to see the love of God because of the great lengths that God goes to to prevent us from going there. You know, Jesus, more than anyone in the Bible, speaks about hell. Why? Could it be that Jesus speaks so much about the existence and the reality of hell because he's trying to warn us? Because he's trying to protect us? You know, a lot of times I think Jesus is talking about hell in a way, if you imagine a parent yelling at their kid to stop playing in the street, why do parents yell at their kids to stop playing in the street? Is it because they want to be uh, mean and say, oh, you can't go play and have fun outside? No, it's because they understand the reality of a car coming down the road and their kids not seeing it while they're playing in the street. They're trying to protect their kids. And they talk to their kids about, when you go outside, don't go play in the street because cars can come down and not see you and you can get hurt. Parents talk to their kids and yell at their kids when they're playing in the street to protect them. And in the same way, Jesus talks about hell in, in such a way that he's trying to warn us and he's trying to protect us. He's not trying to scare you. 
He's trying to protect you. He's trying to warn you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to go there. He loves you and he wants you to know the reality of hell, of what it's like, what you shouldn't want. And he makes a way for you to just be in a relationship with him, something that you don't really have to work to do. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what you have and what someone else has done for you. He makes that way. Before we kind of wrap things up, I want us to look at uh, a verse in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And, and this verse, written before Jesus is even on earth, but prophesies about Jesus. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. If those words don't communicate to you the love that God has for you, if it doesn't communicate to you the length that God is willing to go for you so that you don't have to experience eternal torment and suffering, I don't know what will. Because these are the words of God speaking to you about what he was willing to go through, what Jesus was willing to go through. Jesus was separated from God so that we wouldn't have to be. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, Scripture says that God forsaked him. God turned his back to Jesus. And Jesus experienced separation from God. One of the most painful things ever for both God and for Jesus to experience. You can look at it this way. The, the pain of that separation, uh, you know, if... You know, a random person dies that you've never known. Like, you might be like, oh, that's sad, and, and I feel for them. But it, it's not going to affect you as much. If one of your friends passed away, that's going to hurt you a lot more. If one of your family members passed away, that's going to be awful. The pain that you're going to feel in that is going to be unbearable. And that is the type of pain that God is experiencing as his son is hanging on the cross. The type of pain that Jesus is feeling as God separates that relationship as he's bearing your sins and bearing my sins. As he's bearing that separation from God so that we don't have to. Everything Jesus went through was so that you don't have to experience this separation, this eternal separation from God. So to, to wrap up, hell is the absence of the presence of God. It is the absence of goodness, of all things good. And people go to hell, and they only go to hell because they have chosen to live apart from God. Not because God wants them to go to hell, but because they have chosen their freedom over God's will. They have chosen to live apart from God, and God gives them over to their desire to be without God. Their desire to be without God, God says, fine, have it your way. And hell shows us the love of God because it shows us the great length that God was willing to go to in order to keep us out of it. So God is love and, and heaven is the reality, is 100% the reality for 
for those who choose to be in a relationship with God, who choose to accept his salvation. But God is also just. Just as God is loving and forgiving, God is also just. And in that justice, hell is also an equal reality. And it is a reality for those who choose not to accept Jesus. And simply put, that breaks God's heart. You know, I know this is kind of a heavy topic and a really just in-your-face question to talk about. And it's not one that's exciting. It's kind of sad to talk about this question and this reality. But it's something that a lot of us struggle with. It's a question that a lot of people get hung up on. And so, can God be loving and people also go to hell? Yes, they can. Yes, he can. God is loving. And people do go to hell. So I hope if you've had this question and you've been confused by this, that this has answered that question for you tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We just thank you for all the the blessings that you've given us, just the blessing to be able to be in person and, and to talk about your word and, uh, and just the, the promises that you have for us. Lord, we thank you for the great link that you uh, were willing to go to in order to protect us, to warn us, to make it possible for us to live eternity in peace and pleasure with you. And so, Lord, we pray that we would all come to know your love for us. That anyone here who does not know you, Lord, who has not accepted a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they would come to you and turn from their will and, Lord, say, thy will be done. Lord, have your way in my life. So, Lord, I thank you that Jesus did come and die on the cross so that we could be made new, that we could receive salvation, that we could receive forgiveness and not be held accountable for our sins. And Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. So Jesus, anyone here who doesn't know you tonight, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. Lord, I I pray that you completely transform their mind and help them to see the love that you have for them. As we go to small groups, Lord, I pray that you would just bless our conversations, help us to unpack this and gain a better understanding of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you 